Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Captain of the Keeper Old Time Vintage Hockey Radio Program Podcast, the show where we discuss all things hockey, but we can't help but love some old-time stick and puck. I'm your host, the Captain, and with me, as always, is the goaltender with the highest recorded goals against average in modern human history, the Keeper. I would dispute the that claim that you had there. Your numbers are arbitrary and capricious. But we have a lot of stuff to get to today, and we have an episode chock full of fun goodies that we want to share with our fans here. So we'll start out with a quick news recap of the Arizona Coyotes and a scandal that they're involved in. That should be juicy. Um, the oldest hockey player in the world, Mark Sertich, died in late August, and we'll get to uh, we'll get to that topic, which is pretty interesting, and I'm sure we'll have some, some interesting takes on hockey and age. Um, the captain's pretty excited about this next news story. Um, some video game news and maybe something relating to NHL 94. Well, let's get into that a little bit later on. And on this episode, we'll be sharing with you some of our favorite hockey movies. And they may not be the ones that are the most popular, the ones that you think. Um, and recently, the, the captain had an epiphany. And we'll learn all about that in a segment following the movies. And finally, we'll finish off with Hugging the Post, which will be all about a specific kind of goalie mask. And I can't wait to get into it. Well, that sounds good, Keeper. So uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the news headlines. What do you got for us first? So the darlings of the, at least for me, the darlings of the uh, playing round and the qualifiers, the first round anyway, the uh, the Arizona Coyotes have um, not had the greatest start to their offseason. If, if, if anybody's been following the news, you learn that, Phoenix, Phoenix, I'm still saying Phoenix, learned that Arizona, the Coyotes, lost their 2020 second round draft pick and their 2021 first round pick for um, a scandal about giving physicals to draft eligible players before the NHL's draft combine. And apparently the investigation into this dated as far back as January of this year before the pandemic, before the pause in play, um, back when... um, Steve Sullivan was not the general manager, and I know that you have a thing with Steve Sullivan. Well, I guess we know why the other guy quit now. <laughs> well, I don't want to get into into you know conspiracy theories here, but that's kind of interesting. So Arizona was found guilty of conducting physical tests of draft-eligible players, which is pre- apparently prohibited, right? Quote, to ensure competitive fairness among clubs with respect to evaluating and drafting prospects and to avoid subjecting prospects to repeated and duplicative testing procedures. So, wow, this is kind of interesting. The Coyotes kind of made a nice name for themselves as a kind of a darling story, winning in the the, the qualifier to make the playoffs, getting absolutely blown out by Colorado. And now this, I mean, where do they go from here? You know, I'm also reading stories about their laying off employees, uh, the cuts to the sales team, the marketing team, business operations, just doesn't look good for the Coyotes right now. What do you think? Well, when I heard about this story initially, my first response was very similar to the uh, the judge, if you recall, in Ghostbusters 2, <laughs> who screams at the Ghostbusters and he says that they should be burned at the stake. Uh, I've had to back it down just a little bit since then. I'm going to say that the loss of draft picks is actually a a pretty reasonable fine, but I think we may have a little bit more insight as to why their, uh, their former GM may have quit. He may have been a, a rat fleeing, uh, the ship there, so to speak. Could have been right. And yeah, 
I know according to Gary Bettman in some of the articles that are posted, they were going to have a pretty substantial financial fine and they settled on the draft picks instead. So that's probably a better consolation for them. And since it involves drafting, they losing picks, I guess that all works out, right? Well, yeah, Gary Bettman, not really my favorite guy in the world, I'll be honest with you. But in this case, I think the league did what they had to do. Uh, I'm prepared to accept the fact that I was right to criticize the Arizona Coyotes and their management system over there. A whole whole thing just kind of built on lies, if you ask me. Good grief. You know, well, the Coyotes are, that's one story. You know, we'll see how else their offseason shakes out. It may not be good in terms of, you know, keeping some of their star players. Who knows what will happen to Taylor Hall. And we'll, we'll, we'll find out about that after this postseason is over. Um, the next story we have up on our news wrap-up is Mark Sertich, the oldest hockey player in the world, uh, passed away at the age of 99 in Duluth, Minnesota. And he skated as late as July. So he's playing hockey at age 99. And if you look at this, this man's accomplishments, um, it's pretty impressive. First, and this is probably the least important, he had a very nice mustache, reminiscent of Lanny McDonald of the Calgary Flames. Mustache is very important. Uh, you have to take that into consideration. We're talking about a massive handlebar mustache. But maybe one of the coolest things about him is that he is a World War II veteran. And I am reading this from the Star Tribune. Um he served in the U.S. Army in a division that liberated a concentration camp in Austria and served under the legendary General George Patton in World War II's Battle of the Bulge. And he's playing hockey in July of 2020. Uh, this is a pretty cool story. Um, I know we recently got into it with uh, Ron Fetter, the, the 80-year-old goalie who retired um, in 2012. Uh, you know, Goalies may have to retire a little earlier, you know, 80 and 99 is a big difference, but these men are putting us to shame. Well, the goalies may retire a little earlier because they tend to be a little bit on the lazier side. As you can see, uh, this guy made it another 20 years. I mean, this is one of the coolest human beings you're ever going to hear about in the history of the world. I mean, what did you, the stuff you just talked about, you could fill like three Hollywood movies with this guy's track record. Uh, and he's playing hockey up until July of 2020. Uh, as far as we know, the coronavirus didn't affect him either. He just happened. I mean, he's 99 years old. Uh, he happened to uh, play through to July and went down, unfortunately, in this era. But, I mean, what an amazing guy. Uh, may you rest in peace, I got to say. I mean, this guy's captain material all day long. And, you know, I'm looking at this, re this article as you're talking here. I'm checking this stuff out. So he's described as soft-spoken, humble, and compassionate. Words that would never be used to describe the captain for sure. Um, by his family and community members, which is nice to see. And I did not know this. He um, he beat his own achievements as the Guinness World Record holder for oldest ice hockey player. So kudos on a life well lived and a hockey career fully realized. So yeah. that's Mark Sertich. And um, great story well, to share with you guys. It, it sure is. And, and I hope that one day your hockey career will at least be half realized because you personally aren't really quite there just yet. But, yeah, this guy's awesome. I think we both both love it. Uh, pretty good stuff. So uh, I'm going to take the uh, the next little news tidbit for the uh, fans out there. 
So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the uh, the upcoming uh, NHL video game titles. Keeper and I were talking about. Uh, I mean, we always you can't not talk about NHL '94. It's made it. It's made a, a presence in a few of our programs so far. Uh, but we, we've got some interesting stuff. First, we're going to touch on uh, s- some news that came out uh, fairly recently, talking about uh, this proposed NHL 94. It's called NHL Rewind 94. Now, this isn't uh, official news just yet, but uh, essentially what's happened here is um, the you know EA Sports, the company that makes the games still to this day, they make the video games on the Xbox and PlayStation. Uh, but back in the day, you know, our era, they were making games on the Sega Genesis and the Super Nintendo. So uh, before they register these games, they have to go before a classification board and they have to register their ratings. They have to say what type of audience these games are aimed at. You know, the level of blood or gore or fighting or violence can impact the uh, exact method of, you know, who's allowed to play these games. So in Australia, they appeared before a class. The folks from EA Sports appeared before the Australian Classification Board with a registry for a new game called NHL Rewind 94. And this has got all of us old time vintage hockey guys, uh, including the keeper and I, spun up looking at the idea that EA Sports might be looking to revive the old classic game NHL 94. We're not sure what form this will take. Will the, uh, will this be a standalone game? Will it be introduced alongside of NHL 21, which is coming out this year? Uh, that game is going to be coming out on the existing consoles. That'll be the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One October 16th. Uh, we don't know. Is this going to be a companion game or not? But, Keeper, you and I have had some battles. We've, uh, we've, we've played some tournaments. I've absolutely... Uh, destroyed personally i've made it my business to destroy every man who has crossed my path um anybody that's ever played against us and particularly use the character of pierre turgeon on the new york islanders i've taken specific vengeance against them i won't name any specific uh local new york area sports shop owners but if they're listening out there uh, you may want to keep your doors locked at night because Tomas Sandstrom is coming for you, sir. Uh, Keeper, what are some of your favorite memories of uh, playing some classic games of NHL 94? First, and this is a rarity uh, to me to give the captain any compliments, but um, I, yes, I was not a match for the captain in terms of NHL 94 video game competition. When, when we used to, you know, get the joysticks going and play this game, I thought I was good as a kid playing at home. I mean, I had a great time. I was scoring goals. I had my patented move on the breakaways. But, uh, yeah, the captain, I'll give him the credit. He is a gamer for sure. And I'm sure this game will be right up your alley. One of the features I love, I don't know if this has it, is the uh, create a player feature. Was that NHL 94? So I'm actually glad you brought that up because the create a player feature, to my recollection, did not come out till NHL 95, at least on the uh, Sega Genesis that I recall playing on. But... Uh, there's some speculation out there that this NHL 94 Rewind may include some more modern features along the lines of create a player like you're talking about. Uh, you're only one year off there, so um, a little bit closer than you usually are to stop in the puck. But it gives you a little bit of an idea, mm. you know, how far these new games like NHL 21, they've got salary cap balance. They have all this stuff. But even something simple like bringing that create a player 
feature you just brought up into a classic like NHL 94 or maybe some more of a more deep, maybe like a franchise mode or something along those lines. That would be I mean, I would never need to leave my house ever again if they uh, include something like that and put that game out. I can pretty well just set up shop here and I know what I'll be doing for the next 10 to 12 years. That might be good for the general public. Uh, is this game, could we assume that it'll feature players from NHL 94 or will it be the modern guys? Well, that's, that could be interesting. Again, this is just a, an initial um, application for a license. There's been some difficulty with some of the sports titles over the years, getting uh, the rights to use retired players it's proven to be fairly difficult uh, for them to acquire the rights. It's been relatively easy to acquire the rights to current active players. So you may see something in the style of NHL 94 with a modern uh, NHL circa 2021 roster. And I'll tell you what, I'm just fine with that. Yeah, that would be I great. Say, uh, keep the classic gameplay, you change the names, add in. I mean, I would love to play, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights in uh, – NHL 94 setting on the uh, Sega Genesis type platform there. So uh, either way they do it, I'm excited. If they release it, I'll be there day one for sure out there on the ice, getting pucks deep, going hard and playing strong in the neutral zone. I'm sure that I'll follow you as well into that gaming world. If this is to come to be the way we expect it to be. Um, the next segment we have here. And I know the captain and I have spoken about this one, and we've been waiting for the right moment to talk about this. We love hockey movies. I'm sure everyone out there listening is a big hockey movie fan. Oh, Everyone's yeah. got their favorites. And our favorites uh, may not be the ones that would be the first movies that would come to mind. Um, I know the captain's got some great picks here, and I'll get into some of mine. I know we got, we're going to go one each, but uh, captain, uh, what do most people think of if they think of your classic hockey movie. Well, you know, I think the obvious choices, and they're not to be disputed um, by anybody out there. Miracle, I mean, fantastic movie, right? You, you can't possibly watch that movie and not walk around saying the legs feed the wolf, gentlemen, for about a week. Uh, fantastic movie. Everything from the soundtrack to the uh, actor's portrayals, unbelievable uh, little one, you know, maybe a kid's type movie, The Mighty Ducks, the original Mighty Ducks, a fantastic film. You know, uh, a lot of us coming up uh, that lived during that time. Yeah, great movie. I think uh, even older people that are exposed to it now like it. But then you get to the OG, the classic slap shot. There's never been a better sports movie. I think everybody agrees. You get people uh, lined up in the streets, probably thousands of people. You know, you might be out there, you might be on one side of the political spectrum, the other doesn't matter. You're all agreeing on Slapshot is the greatest sports movie of all time. Yeah, we get that. No dispute there. We get that. But we're not going to talk about those today. Everybody knows about those. Those are great films. They're classics. Uh, what I'm going to talk to you about is a little throwback from 1999. I'm going to talk to you about Mystery Alaska. Uh, this is a film that uh, I watched recently after having not really watched in a long time, uh, but I was immediately taken back by a pretty star-studded cast. I uh, watched this film. you got Russell Crowe in the lead role. Uh, probably heard of him. Even you, Keeper. I mean, you lived under a rock for, what, 16 years? You even heard of Russell Crowe. I know Russell Crowe, and, and, I mean, and I know Kurt Russell from Miracle. 
Well, we know he's fantastic, but Russell Crowe is in this film in the lead role. Uh, Hank Azaria and Burt Reynolds is in this film in a uh, prominent role. And this movie is, I'll say it right now, it's completely ridiculous. The idea that a National Hockey League team would be in the middle of an 82 game season (laughs) grind and decide, you know what? I think we're going to take a break uh, during what I guess they were arguing was something like an all-star break. Uh, and instead of going you know, to the all-star break in the, the concept of the film, the circa what would have been the 98, 99-ish New York Rangers, yeah, they decide that they're going to go and uh, they're going to play uh, a pond hockey game against a town in Alaska. The town's name in the film is Mystery Alaska. And the New York Rangers travel all the way from New York City to Mystery Alaska to play against this ragtag team. And I think in the film, I think they only ice about 10 or 12 skaters, uh, but they've they've got these sweet brown sweaters. Oh, yeah. Sweet brown uniforms. And now when you go back and watch the film, you'd love this keeper. The goalies are wearing late 90s gear. Uh, The players are playing out there. I mean, Watching this film, there's not a beer leaguer out there who would not love to come skating out of their locker room on a winding ice path that leads down a hill into the game to enter onto this giant pond hockey surface to play against the New York Rangers. And then, oh, casually, they put them down to nothing in the beginning of the game. Uh, Russell Crowe playing the captain in the film gets the job done. He puts up the offense. He brings the acting chops. This film, if you haven't seen it in a while, is completely and utterly ridiculous. And I love it. Fantastic stuff. Uh, Keeper, what do you got for us? What's your unrated, uh, your underrated gem of the hockey film world? Well, just really quickly about Mystery Alaska, that might be the only place where you can play outside now is, uh, you know, to avoid any sort of pandemic era hockey interaction with people indoors. That seems like the perfect setting now, which is very timely. Love Mystery Alaska. Love that they had their own group of guys who played every week. And I love that the Rangers win at the end. So it's not like, uh, yeah, that's true. The happy, uh, the happy ending that you think that the the guys from Mystery Alaska are going to win. But my pick is one that I've been watching since I've been a little kid. And it is the movie Youngblood. For me, hands down, uh, it is the best hockey movie you could possibly imagine. With the most quotable references, the best uniforms, the best goalie masks. And we'll get into that in a moment. Um, I've been watching Youngblood since I started playing hockey. This is going back almost 30 years. I know the film came out in the mid-80s and it featured Rob Lowe, Patrick Swayze, classic 80s uh, film, classic 80s movie just in general. Great soundtrack. So Rob Lowe is, um, is a teenager trying to make the Hamilton Mustangs for the playoffs for the Memorial Cup, which is actually a thing in you know Canadian junior hockey. Um, he does end up making the team, uh, but he had some competition from a guy named Carl Racky, who ends up being picked up by the most intimidating team in junior hockey, the Thunder Bay Bombers. Uh, so, of course, those two are going to clash. And Rob Lowe's got to learn how to take his skill and add some toughness to his game. He's got a great coach and Ed Lauder, the the actor Ed Lauder, who played the coach of the Hamilton Mustangs, uh, Murray Chadwick. Uh, What a film, which features some, like I said, great uniforms. So the Hamilton Mustangs are kind of based off of the the look of the Detroit Red Wings. 
and the Thunder Bay Bombers, the the nemesis of the film, have the Boston Bruins like uniforms. Um, I know I've tried to make the T-shirts that had the logos on them and to wear them and maybe hope the people thought I was cool, that I knew that reference to that movie. Um, the quotes in that film, uh, far too many to list. I've done so with a lot of the people I played hockey with growing up, um, especially about something about Mrs. McGill. And I won't get into that too much on the show here, uh, but there's definitely some cool things in this about, and I guess if you played junior hockey in Canada and had a, a you lived with a, with a family, you could probably understand a lot of the references that they make. Uh, the arena, the fog in the arena, the coolness of the, the, the vintageness of it is just too much to, to take. I'll go to the goalie masks real quick. Um, those masks were designed by Greg Harrison, who was the, the aficionado of goaltending masks in the 1980s and 90s, and even into the early 2000s. Uh, but he designed all the masks for that movie. And probably the most iconic shot in any hockey movie is the Thunder Bay Bombers goalie mask that it's the skull face. So his mask is the, the image of a skull. It's a form-fitting, full fiberglass face mask, which you can't wear today because you're gonna you'll, you'll probably die. Um, but it is the most intimidating-looking mask. And one of the coolest moments is when uh, Rob Lowe, Dean Youngblood, has his uh, penalty shot in the championship game. And the goalie, I don't know if you remember this, Captain, uh, the goalie does the splits from a standing position, goes down into the splits. And watching that, I was like, wow, I that would be the coolest thing in the world to, to do. I could never do it. I'd probably tear everything in my body. I probably could never do the splits anyway. But that was just so awesome. Um, Keanu Reeves played goal in the that movie for the Hamilton. I, I was waiting for you to get to Keanu, who is one of the biggest movie stars today right now in this world. Uh, and he he's a goalie in there, and he's he's a keeper. I, I thought for sure you'd have touched on him sooner. I'm glad you got to him now, though. He's uh, you know he's a classic. But yeah, that movie is just all kinds of goodness. Um, you don't want stitches in Thunder Bay, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, so you know you got to make sure that you you put your dentures into a drink so that somebody drinks the the drink and they see your teeth in it. Um, everybody can see relate to that if you watch the film. Great stuff. Too much to go into now. I'm kind of rambling off on it. If you haven't seen Youngblood, I have it on VHS. And I know I've spoken about VHS tapes already. I've definitely taped it off of TV many times. Of course, on the DVDs. But Youngblood, check it out. And for the rest of you uh, listening beyond the year 1993, I recommend trying to find it on one of the streaming services, uh, possibly Amazon. They're a good resource. But, I mean, if you want to try to find a, a random VHS in the Keeper's Basement, you're welcome to do that, too. Uh, but that is a great film. I love it. Uh, you hit it on the head. Those uniforms are amazing. The goalie mask, you know, uh, one thing I like you know, to do to a goalie is fire pucks past him. And uh, I got to be honest, if I'm coming down against the Thunder Bay Bombers goaltender and he does those splits, first thing that's going to happen is I'm going to look at that and I'm going to pull a groin just watching him. Next thing that's going to happen is uh, I'm going to be a little intimidated. I'm going to be squeezing the stick just a little bit harder with him dressed in that uh, in that garb and, and, you know, Carl Racky out there coming after you. I mean, phew, I'd be a little bit uh, a little bit hesitant playing against the Thunder Bay Bombers. Of, That's an intimidating club. And of course, you know, at the end of the film, Rob Lowe gets, you know, he, he trains, he gets stronger. And of course he defeats Carl Racky in a fight after the final horn to prove his toughness and, you know, to ultimately be, Hey, I'm a real hockey player. I have skill now, and now I have toughness and I've lost some teeth. 
well, which is probably well, all, all in the same. There's one big thing I've always heard with this movie that comes up, though. So how do you reconcile the stick fighting? So it, it seems pretty clear, you know, watching this through the modern lens, that neither Rob Lowe nor Patrick Swayze, uh, they, they don't really look like they know how to skate all that well. Uh, <laughs> so you get these awkward stick fights in that movie, which are awesome. But I don't know how representative that was of hockey at the time. I've never seen anything like that before. These guys are straight up fencing out there. They're whacking each other, having a a stick v stick fight on the ice before the fist fight. If, Keeper, what's going on there? If a kid who's like you know watching hockey now in hockey's you know, which is fighting is just kind of you know, falling off anyway. If a kid who's like twelve or thirteen watches that movie, they probably think, "What's going on?" What are they doing sparring off with sticks? I know the young blood's brother tells him before you know he gets back onto the ice, get that stick away from him first. What? Who, who has to train that way? Every you drop your gloves, you drop your stick, and you fight. But that's definitely a bygone era, well before us. That goes to a different level of vintage hockey, I suppose. I suppose I, I couldn't speak to that. I, I'm not sure how long I would last in a league where the uh, first thing you got to do is get clubbed to death before fighting the guy and and then go on. But, you know, props to Youngblood. Great film. I enjoyed it as well. Uh, pretty good stuff. So we got the video games. We got the movies. Um, uh, the captain, and I think everybody out there in the podcast world should know, has been watching round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And he had himself an epiphany. And I th- and he should tell this to us. And I think we're all going to be enjoying this one. Well, I don't know that you personally have the intellect to comprehend what's about to come out. But I think the fans out there, especially those between the age of three and nine, will be just fine. We have um, three and nine-year-olds watching the show? Well, I'm sure we do. I mean, we're out there to the masses. We're out there to the general public. Point is, if you're in the three to any age range really if you're anybody but the keeper you should be able to follow this fine keeper you're going to struggle so get get your pen and paper out and uh, write this down i'll take so notes. i had an epiphany watching these playoffs especially uh it's occurred to me a little bit during the uh, islanders flyer series we've been talking a lot keeper and i've been discussing uh the impact of the coaching staff so i took a little bit further you know as a as a captain, I want to think about leadership and the impact that uh, leadership has. We've talked in the past about some of the best um, captains so far, some of the performances we've seen in the playoffs. But I, I decided to look at things from a maybe a, a little bit more zoomed out perspective for a little more top down here, big picture kind of stuff. And uh, thinking a little bit about the impact of coaching and leadership beyond the players on the ice and how important it is to come up with the right mixture, to come up with the right things that your team needs. And uh, it came to my attention watching the Islanders and Flyers game the other night. We were talking about a game in which the, uh, the, Fl- uh, the Flyers lost to the New York Islanders, and we saw decisive goals scored by Uncle Leo Komarov Uncle and Leo. Matt and Matt Martin, okay? These aren't exact. You're not talking uh, Alex Ovechkin and Brett Hull here. All right, these aren't exactly uh, <laughs> these aren't exactly uh, legendary goal scorers. But it seems to me as though 
you've got Lou Lamorello and Barry Trotz. We've talked about Barry Trotz. We haven't given Lou Lamorello a whole lot of mention here on our program, but these guys, you know, if you look at what they're trying to accomplish, you look at what all the, the coaches and GMs in the league are trying to do, you're seeing a situation where they've got to hit a moving target. What it takes to be successful in the National Hockey League changes year to year, sometimes within a season, maybe more than once. Uh, we had a famous address a couple years ago. Brian Burke had to uh, send Colt Orr down to the minors back you know, a couple years ago, Toronto Maple Leafs. Had to send him down. He had a big press conference where he lamented having to send this type of player down because – uh, or was everything he thought a hockey player should be when he had, uh, you know, when he was running a show over in Anaheim, he was building a team with big, strong players that played that game that could fight, that could go. Uh, what we've seen recently with the Islanders, with Komarov and Martin scoring decisive goals. Every year, there's something different. You need a different makeup of a team in order to win the Stanley Cup. It's not good enough to say that you're going to build a team of all offensive players. For example, if you did that in 1991, you're probably going to go pretty far. If you build a team of all offensive players, <coughs> Toronto Maple Leafs, probably not going to go so far in 2020. So uh, the point is, it's very difficult for these, these leadership teams to know what the target even is at any given time in order to know what kind of team to even build. Uh, Keeper, I know you're big. You know, you obviously uh, you followed a lot of New York Rangers history. Um, I'm sure when, when the Rangers made trades, they sent a guy like Mike Gartner away in 1994. Yeah, yeah. You know, before winning the Stanley Cup. I'm sure some people looked at that and thought, well, I mean, this, these guys are crazy. What are they doing? They're sending away this you know, amazing Hall of Famer. Yeah. Hall of Fame goal scorer. But, you know, you look a little bit about the return, what they brought in at that moment in time, Neil Smith and Mike Keenan knew what they needed to do at the trade deadline. And one thing I've noticed, you see a lot of these teams right now, it's difficult to identify what you even need to be successful at any given moment in time in the national hockey league, let alone be able to go out and acquire it. I think you hit the nail on the head there with Lou Lamarillo. Uh, the Islanders uh, make Lou Lamarillo their general manager. They immediately hire Barry Trotz as soon as he wins the Stanley Cup with the Capitals. And that franchise has been on a roll ever since. Um, the two guys you mentioned, funny enough, Matt Martin and Leo Komarov used to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And Oops. Lou Lamarillo used to be the GM for the Maple Leafs. Oops. And I, I, Toronto is, um, and they're playing in Toronto, the hub city right now. <laughs> and as we speak right now, they're up 3-1 in the series against Philadelphia. And you see people joking about the Islanders online saying, who, like, who are these guys? Like, what is this team? It doesn't have the names, but it has the heart and it has the grit. And now it's taken what Columbus, you know, had. And it's taken what, uh, you know, teams like Arizona, at least in the first round, had that, that little bit of juice, that little bit of zip. The Islanders have it. I mean, they're not doing this with superstars. They're doing this by committee, although they do have a couple of guys like Beauvillier and Paggio and Anders Lee who are putting up the bulk of their goals. But they do have some other players who are chipping in in other ways. And just tonight, we're seeing them start Thomas Grice. You know, that's a with, with the games so close, back-to-back -back nights, it's important to have those, you know, to use all your players. And Barry Trotz is a master at this. And I, 
really fun note. Sorry to go off topic here. I see that Barry Trotz is wearing a Baltimore Ravens shirt in a press conference because he ran out of T-shirts. He ran out of T-shirts. Yeah, T-shirts. So I guess if you want to send some stuff to Barry Trotz, this might be the time. Or I don't know if he can go to a store in the hub. But anyway, <laughs> they're, whatever they're doing on, on Long Island and now in Toronto for this is unbelievable. They've built some team of, of um, players that have heart and have that extra little oomph and that moxie that well, I, the team I, can't beat. I agree. They've certainly done that. I will just touch on Barry Trotz real quick and say if he had been a more accomplished beer league player, he'd have plenty of T-shirts because that's the prize you get when you win a championship. If Barry had played, uh, you know, spent a little bit less time at the professional level and a little more time playing in the beer leagues, he'd have plenty of extra T-shirts. They, but talk, they give out the Cup uh, T-shirts too. Well, they give out rings and jackets and all kinds yeah. of other stuff. I'm not sure how serious they are with the T-shirts. But, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. They assembled that. But, you know, my point is that it, it takes a lot of foresight and it takes a lot of awareness of what's going on in the game at any given moment to know that that's the type of team you need to build. Because if you build a team that's based on moxie, like you said, that's based on having that – you know, that gut type of performance and the NHL does what they did after the lockout and makes it so that anytime you touch a guy, it's a penalty and you can't move without getting called for something. Then all of a sudden having those type of teams isn't the right makeup. Then you need a team with more offensive prowess that plays a free, more freewheeling game. Uh, I think your point about the Islanders is well received. I think they currently have built a team that is you know, in the moment, they built a team that is at the right age. And that that's another thing. Some some teams go out and acquire the right guy, but they get them three or four years too late. And you, you have to get all the players at the right time. Um, I've been an extremely accomplished general manager in NHL. Well, we'll say 97, probably when they really instituted these things up until 20. 2020. Uh, I can always build a competitive team, you know, from my armchair general manager's position. So I've never really had to consider this from the professional level of, uh, you know, how the league can change over the years. And when you look at some GMs like Lamorello, it doesn't matter where you put this guy, you put him in Jersey, you put, I mean, all right, granted, they didn't have the success they wanted in Toronto, but they haven't been any better than when Lamorello oh, was leading that program. And then you send him out over to Long Island and he makes a big difference out there. No matter how old that guy gets, no matter what's going on around him, he seems to know how to build a team that is current, that is present to what needs to be done at that moment in time in the NHL. And he finds a coach that can deliver and complement that system. He's done that again. Uh, I have to say that looking at that element of coaching and leadership, a lot of respect for what these guys are doing and how difficult it is to even recognize what needs to be done, let alone go out and do it. And as you mentioned, you know, the Mike Keenan and Neil Smith grabbing the, the grit and toughness that the Rangers would use on their 94 Cup run. Don't look past the Islanders picking up uh, Pajo just before you know the, the shutdown of play in February. Uh, that has been paying dividends for the Islanders. So like, say they identified a need. They knew that extra little boost of offense and toughness and grit. He brought all that, and he's continuing to bring that for a team that's now on the verge, one game away from the, the conference finals, which is a pretty impressive feat. Pretty impressive indeed. 
So why don't we bring it back now to, and I know that we were, we were our schedule has not uh, allowed us to come out with our second round pick so far for the Stanley Cup playoffs. We were on the air for a quick take last Sunday, just as the second round was about to get started. Um, so we didn't have our picks or our predictions as normal. Uh, but we're going to get into a quick little hit on round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But you know, I think the people out there should know about you know who the captain picked and who the keeper picked and just how well the keeper would be doing. But, I mean, the captain, do you want to start talking about I will. picks? And, you know, like, I, I will, and I will say that uh, I'm glad that for this round uh, that we agreed to do the mature thing, when it, when- which was – which was to agree that since we didn't get to get out in front of this in the public eye and release our picks in a public manner, that we have agreed to a no frills, no trash talk recap of where we're at right now. So that being said, I will go over in a professional and responsible manner the picks that we had for the second round. Is this the same guy who was playing clips of his, you know, successful picks in round one with audio sound effects? I'm going to edit that out. I, yeah, I didn't even hear you. Right, so, no, frills. no frills. No frills. We agreed as gentlemen that there would be a no trash talk session here. This is just a simple recap. Just relax. I'll take it from here, keeper. So, um, in the first and what I'd like to consider the most important of all the picks in this round, uh, we had Boston versus Tampa Bay. Uh, I will go on record as saying that I selected Tampa Bay to be the team that would win. You picked Boston. Yeah, well, and I want to brag about that. Let's move on to the next round. Next game. And yeah, let's move on to the next round. That's fine because uh, I will just briefly say for the fans, the keeper picked Dallas where I picked Colorado. The keeper picked the Islanders where I picked Philadelphia. And we both agreed on Vegas versus Vancouver. So I think pretty much everybody out there has heard what they need to hear. No frills, no discussion on it, really. We'll just go ahead and move on. It's not over yet, and we'll see what happens. I just want to say how cool it is to see teams using multiple goaltenders. Uh, this is something that you probably would not normally see during a regular playoff run. Now with the schedule being the way it is, we have back-to-back nights where teams are playing game. I mean, they're not granted. They're not traveling and they're, you know, in a hotel and they're, they're being treated nicely. Uh, but it's cool to see the need of two solid goaltenders. And in the case of, uh, I would say the Boston Bruins, you need three solid goaltenders because yeah. their third goalie, uh, Dan Vladar made it into the, the, the game the other night when Boston was getting destroyed by Tampa Bay. Uh, so you, you Almost everybody probably would have never thought he would have ever saw ice time at all. So you're, you're getting goaltenders in there who, I know Michael Hutchinson is playing for Colorado tonight in, in place of Pavel Fran- Francouz. So we're, we're seeing guys who we never would have thought we'd see. And I know that Vegas has now got Marc-Andre Fleury in goal tonight. So we're seeing a, a flip-flop back and forth in certain situations. So just for me, it's cool to see multiple goaltenders being used. Well, Keeper, we've seen the dynamics change with goalies in the regular season of late, whereas you used to have guys like Marty Brodeur and Henrik Lundqvist playing 70 games a season. Uh, we've seen that change in recent years where you're seeing goalies start, starting goalies start maybe 50, 50 games or so, the backup coming in, picking up maybe 30, 35 games, something along those lines. Do you think this trend here we're seeing in the playoffs, is this here to stay or is this a one-year anomaly because of what you just said, the lack of travel, the bubble environment, 
Uh, what do you think about that? I think this is here to stay. I mean, the way the game is today, I think with the with the speed of, the, of players, with the with the grind that it is, I think you need that two goalie system, where you say like a like a, a 50-30 breakdown would be a pretty solid one. Uh, and we're talking about an era where a two-time Stanley Cup champion and Matt Murray is on the trading block. Uh, like nobody, no, no goaltender is really safe. I mean, you look at what happened to Jordan Bennington in in round one. I mean, Jake Allen won the bulk of the games for the Blues and Bennington was sitting on the bench. So I guess it doesn't really matter. You know, it's whoever's hot at a moment and they're going to play and they're going to split games if they have to. I seem to recall you all but guaranteeing Jordan Bennington would be out begging for change on the street uh, by the end of this year. And it was something close to that uh, that you predicted very recently about the collapse of his season and career. I don't want to say Nostradamus. I know you've used that phrase. I know that you've billed yourself as the hockey Nostradamus. But, uh, it was, it's been said about me. I don't recall. I, I noted the, a nicely edited photo on the Instagram page that we have, uh, Captain and the Keeper, uh, where the Captain C is on Nostradamus. I don't know. Uh, maybe you have something to do with that. I'm not sure. I know well, our media director. Correlation. Correlation at best. I certainly, I wouldn't go to you know, any, anything more than that, just a pure correlation. Okay. Freak, freak coincidence. Okay. Well, I guess that's about it for our round two coverage for right now. Hopefully our schedule will time us out a little bit better with the start of round three, the conference finals, as we progress further into the month of September, which is this week. And I know the, the playoffs only have a few more weeks left. So we're heading into the, the stretch run here as the teams dwindle down. And um, you have something to say there, Cap? Well, I was going to say, I look forward to obliterating you in the next round after what has been a largely quiet round for both of us that nobody will ever want to talk about going forward. So spoken like uh, true no frills, gentlemen. And that's what I'm all about is no frills. And speaking of no frills, we're going to get on to uh, Hugging the Post coming up next where you're going to tell us a little bit about a no frills uh, goalie mask. Take it away. All right, so uh, for this Hug in the Post segment, uh, we're going to be talking about masks, a specific type of goalie mask. This is more of a combo mask, and this might be the first in a series of discussions on masks, as if anybody out there knows me, you know that I love goaltender masks. So this one today is about the Cooper SK2000 and the HM30 cage. Um, This mask is probably the least protective that you can find. And any kids listening today from the ages of three to nine, as you previously mentioned, probably have no idea what this mask even is. Um, it wasn't the most visually appealing mask. And I know that as far as forwards wearing it, we have guys like Mark Messier, Kelly Buckberger, uh, the first two that come to mind. But for some reason, goaltenders adopted this mask and slapped on a broom ball cage. We're talking about a broom ball cage. This isn't even an ice hockey approved cage. The cage is meant for uh, non-competitive ice hockey. So it is a white wired cage that has a small little chin guard and that fastens to the actual helmet. So this is not the most visually appealing goaltender setup. But today, um, it is pretty cool. And I know that it is a, about as retro as you could get, and it is now pretty pricey. When I first you know, got into the SK2000 and HM30 cage, about 2004, which is well after it was popular anyway. You can get one on eBay for like 30, 40 bucks, maybe 50 bucks in pretty decent shape with the bumpers on each side and intact with the cage too. 
I mean, now if you do a search for them, they're like three, four, five hundred bucks. And I know that everyone kind of makes um, modifications to them. I've seen them in carbon fiber. I've seen them in fiberglass. Some manufacturers make a totally fiberglass Kevlar combination model with a beefed up cage beyond the broom ball style one. Um, but speaking on behalf of me, watching goaltenders play with these masks growing up, I did not like it. Um, it was always uh, a guy like, for example, Chris Osgood, um, who at the time of his retirement in 2011 kind of assured himself as being the last man to consistently wear this mask. And, you know, there, there's a quote in there. Let's see. I'll, I'll pull up my quote here from Chris Osgood when he retired in the uh, Toronto Sun. Um, Chris Osgood said that I was always laid back. This is a quote. I was always laid back, said Osgood. Um, other goalies would get their mask painted. I never wanted any attention on myself. And that's what my helmet represented. So it's the ultimate helmet for a guy who does not want to draw any attention. It's got no artwork to it. Um, it's just usually the team color. Uh, it's something that, I don't know, It's today it's visually appealing to see a goaltender wear it. But back then it was just like a, I can't believe you wouldn't be a goaltender and actually have a painted mask. Well, I used to, as a player... Um, I used to love this particular mask because there was a time and you can probably correct my memory on this and tell me exactly what this time period was, but there was a time when it was clear there was a known hierarchy in the, especially in the NHL, when you were watching, uh, the starting goalie on every team at a certain point in the early nineties, the starting goalie had the full, what looks to be, to me, a current goalie mask with a paint job and everything else. And there was a good while where all the backups, it was like an agreement. Like there was a union of backup goaltenders that got together and said the backups will wear the combo cage and the starting goalie will wear the helmet. So for me, as a pure sniper, somebody who's going to go out there and bend the twine, who's going to go a bar down, as we've said in the past, and I'm going to put a couple biscuits in the basket, it's easier for me to look down at that combo cage and know that's the backup I'm facing. I don't even have to work as hard on this guy. I can get away with taking a little bit off the old clapper and still put a couple of pucks home. You're probably right. You know, in that time period of the late 80s into the early 90s, it was the transition phase. You know, gone were the days of the full face mask, the full fiberglass face mask with the two eye holes. Uh, very few goaltenders throughout their career wore all of the masks. I think Grant Fuhrer is the first one to come into mind that wore the full full, full molded mask, the uh, the SK2000, and then finally the, the modern mask that we see today, the modern combination mask that puts both features together. Um, that's a time period, 80, 80s, 90s, where goalies who are transitioning out of the SK2000. So if you saw a goalie in the SK2000 one year, there's a good chance that he would switch over the next. You know, like the biggest two that come to mind for me, John Van Beesburg and Mike Richter from the New York Rangers. They wore these for years. And all of a sudden, 92-93 season comes. They switch over to the, the, full, the full new fiberglass mask with the cage attached to it. The, the, the modern mask that we know that could be painted and designed to look like, you know, masks that are similar to what you know, goalies wear today. Um, it was a transition period. And some guys just clung to these masks. And my favorite goalies who clung to the SK2000 and the HM30 combos were Glenn Healy and Dan Cloutier. Oh, I know you love oh. these guys. So oh. 
for Glenn Healy. You know, I first saw him playing for the New York Islanders, and he would dance around the crease and make the most acrobatic saves you could imagine. And he's doing it in the ugliest, most unprotective helmet you can imagine. This thing does not have – it's not designed to deflect a puck. Right? It's got a lot of flat spots, and you can find yourself getting hurt pretty easily. You can find yourself getting a lot of cuts, a lot of nicks, a lot of dings. But I guess you don't care. You're just out there to do business and to make, and to play. It's not about art. It's not about showing off your personality or your or or, or who you are. And for other guys like Dan Cluche, it's probably just I'm comfortable wearing this. What what is it with you and Dan Cluche? Okay, look, I got to take this moment to air a personal grievance against Dan Cluche, your supposed SK two thousand hero here. Okay, so let me let me wind the clocks back for you. Oh, about here we go. 20 something years, all right? So I'm a I'm a young captain, still a captain, but but a young captain. Um yeah, I'm I'm a I'm at the point where I'm a kid that is still interested in getting autographs for from NHL players, which for you means it could still be now. Uh but I remember going to this game and I was uh I was at a game at Madison Square Garden where the New York Rangers were playing, uh, this is had to be the late nineties Rangers are playing somebody else. I went to the game and, you know, at the time I prided myself as a young kid trying to know who all the players were and everything. Um, I'm standing across the street, uh, on the, the side, of I, I can't recall exactly if that's the, uh, seventh or eighth Avenue side over there, but I'm standing over by the parking garage and we're basically watching all the players come out and I'm over there with my dad and we're over there with, uh, another, another kid, my age at the time. And, you know, both of our dads are over there and we're watching, trying to see some of the players come out. And I look over and, uh, this young kid who at the time was Dan Cloutier freshly had just made the backup role on the New York Rangers. He hadn't fought the whole New York Islanders team yet, you know, with his equipment off or any of that cool stuff yet. He's just the backup goalie for, he's an obscure player. And, uh, you know, I, I recognize him. I'm the only person who thought he wasn't like an intern, uh, who nobody else knew who this guy was. They're, they're over there stopping, uh, Stefan Lefebvre thinking he's Mark Messier because <laughs> he's bald. All right. The people are over there doing that kind of thing. And I'm the only one who recognizes Dan Cloutier. So I stop him, you know, young version of me. I'm sitting there. I've got a little, a uh, little highlighter pen and a piece of program from the game. I approach Dan Cloutier and say, Hey, uh, Hey, Dan Cloutier. Wow. Can I have your autograph? He looks at me and he goes, uh, sure kid. I'll be right back walks across the street and leaves me standing there with my friend leaves us walks across the way to his you know luxury car that they all park in the, the lower level of the parking deck over there walks across the way meanwhile nobody is trying to get an autograph from this guy nobody knows who he is nobody cares who he is and I'd like it to stay that way and this isn't personal this is just I'd like it to stay that way let's forget about this guy collectively. Did he do some cool things later? Did he fight the whole Islanders team? Yeah, that was pretty cool. I don't care about that. This guy, not personally, but, uh, you know, he showed some bias towards me, and I'm I'm not going to retaliate by showing any bias towards him, but uh, I'm going to stricken him from the history books. And, uh, you know, first chance I get, 
uh, you know, I'm going to let him know about it. And hopefully if he's out there, obviously he's back to being irrelevant again, just like he was back then. If he catches this, let him know if he ever wants to play NHL 94, I will get some vengeance upon him. I would say this is an open invitation to Dan Cloutier to come on the show. I mean, that's as, 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 as plain as Absolutely I can announce. Not. He's not welcomed on this show. He doesn't have the kind of star power that would be required to be on this show, no matter how much you like his SK2000 mask, which may or may not be the inspiration for our logo. Uh, but that's just about all I've got to say about Dan Cloutier. All right. Well, anyway, he did a nice job wearing an SK2000, but uh, I disagree. When he went to Los Angeles, management kind of forced him for insurance purposes to wear a more modern, more protective mask, and his game went south as a result of it. Well, so these guys it was already south. These guys are you know, they're they're used to wearing this mask. They scrounge up to find parts and pieces for this. I know in that article that I mentioned before about Chris Osgood, you know, it, the trainers are going crazy trying to find, you know, spare parts for these kind of masks. And um, you know, guys like Glenn Healy, they're they're, you know, he had a quote in that article where he said, We weren't one of those guys who gets his fancy little mask airbrush with your cool superheroes on it. You know, this is a this is a mask for the working man goaltender. You're there to and do help, a job. Uh, how many masks do you have painted with uh, custom cool designs? I have several. I am the anti of this. I, I, but, you know, I'm leaning towards more of the simplicity on my designs now, and I'm even considering an all-white mask myself, just so that it goes with all my uniforms. But anyway, I digress. I will have to close off with one note, and you're going to love this. Do you know the last NHL goaltender who wore an SK2000 in an NHL game? I have a feeling it's going to be the only goalie that I dislike more than Dan Cloutier, but go ahead and take it. If everybody out there guessed Rick DiPietro, you are correct. In the 2011-12 season, Rick DiPietro did wear the SK-2000. If everybody remembers that fight he had with Brent Johnson where he, uh, (laughs) well, he didn't Dan Cloutier the Islanders, but Brent Johnson, uh, Dan Cloutier, Rick DiPietro. The one-punch knockout, which, you know, damaged his cheek, and uh, he couldn't wear his regular form-fitting mask, so he had to throw on the SK-2000, which I think was actually a Chris Osgood leftover from when he played for the Islanders. So he ended up wearing that just after Osgood had retired still. So he kind of, he's got the mantle, the last man in history to wear this mask in a professional NHL game, which is kind of cool. I know you love Rick. Well, uh, I do like goalies that you know, are short on talent and big on style. I think that's why you and I have gotten along so well. But uh, Rick DiPietro takes it to another level for me. I mean, this guy, uh, he's the guy, he jumped on the trend just a little bit after it was cool for me. This is the aunt or uncle that you don't want to talk to that just found out about Facebook that's uh, asking you on there. And so, oh, well, make sure you accept my friend request so I can stalk you. That's Rick DiPietro jumping on the SK2000 after it was cool, mind you. It was cool. Osgood, very sharp, not going to lie. Everybody except Dan Cloutier and Rick DiPietro that ever wore it, very sharp. But I got to tell you, Rick DiPietro, um, I'll tell you what, you don't even need you don't need to talk about Rick DiPietro when you got a guy like Wade Dublowicz. Dublowicz. 
who stole that role from him and he had a different mask. I know you can tell us about the specifics of that, but uh, Rick DiPietro, I mean, come on, you want to talk about overrated? How long could I possibly be on this program talking about that? I could be on here for years. Discussing. Right. I don't care. I do not care. When I saw him put that mask on, the Islanders were wearing their retro uniforms that they're wearing right now. They had just brought those back full time. When I saw a blue SK 2000 on an Islander Jersey, it was Glenn Healy all over again. And it was beautiful. I did not care anything about who Rick DiPietro was or anything that's bad about him that you mentioned about an ant following you on Facebook. I don't care when he put that mask on. That was cool. Let me be I, clear. I, I give him credit because I wore it for a season of men's hockey. I think it was E-level, if I'm not mistaken. And right. I was scared. Where oh, F? F? It was an F? Whatever it was, it wasn't yeah. the highest level. But I was frightened getting a slap shot up high with this mask on. I thought I might die. I had to go back to my, you know, regular modern mask. I could not do it. These guys did it at the NHL level. They're sick. Well, impressive. I will say just for the record that Glenn Healy wearing the exact same equipment that you just described looked absolutely fantastic. Just something about putting Rick DiPietro in there that just doesn't really do it for me. Uh, But before you have a chance to retort, I'm going to go ahead and tell the fans that's all we have for today. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate you listening. Uh, We'll be back with you next week. Uh, make sure you go ahead and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're now on Facebook and Instagram for the Captain and the Keeper. I'm the Captain. Thank you very much. And the Keeper reminding you to use the hashtag Captain and the Keeper if you want to you know, tag us with any hockey topics that you might want to have covered on the show, any questions you might have. Maybe you want to send us a private message like Collect Hockey did on Instagram. That's Collect Hockey. Send us a nice private message of his hockey collection, which is vastly impressive and way better than anything we've got going on over here. So if you want to share some stuff with us, we'll be sure to share that with the fans as well. So um, if you don't want to wind up on the Tallahassee Warthogs, uh, Youngblood reference for all you out there. You might want to, you know, get on, get on board, like, and follow our Facebook and Instagram pages. And that's all we got for today. So bye-bye now. A uh, bye-bye.